Hello, Marcus Brigstock here. For rights reasons, we are not able to include all of the music featured in the original Cabinet of Jazz radio series. I would urge you, beg you, plead with you to head in the direction of whatever streaming service you have or vinyl records you have or whatever you've got and go and listen to this incredible music. The Cabinet of Jazz with Marcus Brigstock on Jazz FM. Listening Colour. Welcome to the Cabinet of Jazz on Jazz FM, brought to you live from Pizza Express Soho. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, I will inaugurate a new president to lead the free world of jazz. I will invite our new leader to suggest his cabinet of jazz made up of four greats from the world of jazz, soul and blues, and then justify the choices with great examples of their music and a bit of discussion about why that person would be suitable. Now, this is all inspired by Dizzy Gillespie's run for president back in 1964. Uh, Dizzy narrowly missed out on a win. It was very close. Um, Had he not withdrawn and failed to make it onto the ballot at all, he might well have won. Um, Essentially, Dizzy Gillespie lost that presidency in much the same way that I lost the London Marathon. Still, I'm very proud that I tried, which is to say I bought some running shoes and I'm wearing them tonight. Uh, I, I mean, if it had gone further, it just it kind of boggles my mind. I would have loved to have heard a town hall debate between Dizzy and conservative libertarian Barry Goldwater. You know, uh, Goldwater extolling the virtues of individual liberty and the importance of traditional American conservative values. While Chano Pozo and Dizzy's band respond by filling the town hall with deep Afro-Cuban rhythms, making even the stiffest Republican look down and go, oh, what the hell's happening to my hips? I especially like the idea of Phyllis Schlafly and the National Federation of Republican Women fainting in prudish shock when they saw the phallic angle of Dizzy Gillespie's big noisy horn. Why, I believe that man's trumpet may be too messant, Phyllis. Look away. All right, it's too early for muck. Uh, (laughs) Jazz-based filth based on the angle of Dizzy Gillespie's slightly tumescent trumpet. Stay with me, people. Or it's going to be a long night. Um, But Dizzy didn't change the course of history from inside the White House. Nothing so mundane. Instead, he altered modern music forever, which is more than good enough for me. So in his honour, I am about to make my guest this evening president in his place. Uh, My guest tonight is a hugely accomplished musician who also does a lovely bit of journalism on the side. Ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome President-elect Jay Rayner. Can I say, Marcus, that, that, I mean, obviously calling me a hugely accomplished musician, I don't believe you've ever actually seen me play. <laughs> no, all. I know, but, but we're definitely going to tonight. So uh, well, that's true. That's I'm true. very excited about that. Um, how long have you been playing piano? 40 years. Yeah, but I was... You must be excellent by now. I, I should, no, I should be excellent by 40 now. 40 years. I mean, I you know, must... I know, I know, I know. Um, I was toodling around for a very long time and there were a lot of sounds and um, harmonies that I loved the sound of and many musicians I adored. I didn't really get very serious about it until about 15 years ago and started... So 15 years of really devoted playing. I mean, you must be phenomenal. (laughs) I (laughs) I, I am, as I always say, the greatest jazz pianist 
in Britain of all the judges on MasterChef. <laughs> nice one. I am much better at this than William Sitwell. The, the crucial thing about it is, does it bring you pleasure when you play? Oh, it brings me huge pleasure. Um, it is a place of... The piano is a place of safety for me. Mm-hmm. Um, because you actually you can't really be thinking of anything else while you're sitting there trying to work the changes and sound interesting and stay in rhythm and keep counting and know when to bring... The, all of that sort of stuff. It's, it's, a, it's a glorious part of my life. But you, you, you fell in love with jazz as a, as a young man, right? Yeah, no, no, it was a very specific moment. I mean, it had always been around. My parents were particularly into um, the Great American Songbook, musicals and all of that, but they mm. came back from New York in 1978. They'd been off on a trip. And they brought back the cast recording of a musical called Ain't Misbehaving, which was pretty much the first jukebox musical. It was... Um, a, a collection of the songs of Fat Swallow. And they put it on, and the first track is uh, Ain't Misbehaving. It starts with Fats playing the first 45 seconds, and then it merges into the modern-day sound. And I don't think I'd ever heard the piano sound like that. Yeah. Um, that three-handed thing, it was just glorious. And we already had a piano by then because I was taking classical lessons, and I sat there looking at the piano, trying to work out how it was done, and I sat like that for a good few years. Just staring, <laughs> just and looking not knowing. At it. Yeah, but that, that's really where it started. And uh, tell me about when you heard "Love Cats" by The Cure. Well, yeah, it was, it's funny. This I was looking back at the things that got me very, very excitable, and in retrospect, I realised that the reason I loved "Love Cats" is because basically a piece of West Coast swing. Exactly. So the reason I asked about that is I was a goth. Right, and we're all good people were exactly. So was I exactly, especially lonely, overweight, middle-class boys. I, I don't know what I, I can't obviously tick all those boxes. <laughs> sure. <laughs> what? <laughs> I was never lonely. It was. Oh, I see. <laughs> of course you were. You were a goth. Yeah. It's it's the rules. But Love Cats. I was a massive fan of The Cure, and Love Cats was was the song that you you had to say you didn't like because it was too commercial. So I, I for years I was like, oh yeah, Love Cats is awful. And then when I got really into jazz, came back to it and went, wow, that's they there's were- a whole section of songs from the eighties which actually. Uh, uh, the people in my quartet. Yeah, that's the only way you could get jazz into the public arena in the 80s was by sneaking it through sneaking other bands. Sneaking it through, exactly. Get it in under the wire. Um, now, you have, as well as uh, playing through what's been a very weird time, of course, there's mm. been this bug going around. Um, what bug is that? <laughs> Go on. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, you've, you've not wasted the last 18 months. You've written a new book. I published a new book. It would be pushing it to say I wrote it, um, as it is a compilation of 40 of my columns from the Observer Food Monthly. But it was definitely a lockdown project because I was the proverbial eunuch at the orgy in that I realised I was a restaurant critic who couldn't review restaurants. And I needed to think very seriously about what it was that I was writing about. And I went back to look at this particular column that I've written for over 10 years at the front of our food supplement. And they deal with everything, break food down to its minutiae and its emotional uh, relationship with us because mm-hmm. it's never really about whether the lamb was overcooked or the fish was raw it's about emotion and memory and family and sex and relationships and mm-hmm. all of those things and I found looking back at my own work well I thought it was thrilling um, <laughs> and <laughs> some of my previous small books I call them have been collections of only my negative restaurant reviews because people love those because yeah. they're horrible um, Whereas this is actually a rather positive book. Oh, it's a, it's a celebration. It's a so celebration it's good, of yeah. food. I mean, there is one chapter called Hate Springs Eternal, which is about why I hate picnics and buffets 
I really hate buffets. Why? Oh, it's where food goes to die. It festers. A buffet is a solution to a catering problem. Nobody goes, oh, let's have a buffet by choice. They do it because it's the only way to feed a whole room full of relatives they hate. And it's, it's about binding ingredients in mayonnaise and giving a lobster head to a boiled salmon, and it's just awful. <laughs> the quality of food uh, is in negative proportion to the distance it's travelled from the place where it was cooked. So that... <laughs> this is true, we know this. Chicken legs just become like, you know, nibbling on the kneecap of some monster from Star Wars. It's just, it, it, and, and your <laughs> granny's going into anaphylactic shock and your kids are poking a dead you know, bird with a stick. And it's just a nightmare. When I... When oh. I heard that you'd now. agreed to come on and yeah. I was I was thrilled and I thought I wonder if there's some way of nudging Jay in the direction of some of his more howling uh, negative restaurant reviews it took the lightest tap <laughs> look it's been a difficult 18 months what's more I also swore off writing negative reviews well I, I thought, really liked that yeah. I, I thought uh, two reasons one I didn't think the hospitality industry needed it and two yeah. read the room I didn't sure. think the readers really wanted it um, it wasn't about giving good reviews to bad restaurants. It was about if you found somewhere you couldn't be generally positive about, I'd pay the bill and move on. And then I came across the Polo Lounge on the rooftop of the Dorchester Hotel. I did, Other really expensive West End hotels are available. I did read that. Uh, and and it, I have to say, it was as delicious as not eating there. I, <laughs> I, I had this feeling uh, when that review... I did know what I'd done. I kind of knew what the response would be. But I felt like Russell Crowe in that moment in Gladiator when he stands in front of the audience of the Colosseum, having cut uh, his opponent's head off, shouting, are you not entertained? <laughs> there was that we, definite we, vibe. We definitely yeah. were. Uh, you said uh, that there's a strong relationship between restaurants and jazz. Well, what did you mean? I once said in a piece that uh, jazz was born in the restaurants of New Orleans, and somebody immediately emailed me and said, well, they weren't really restaurants, were they? Mm. Um, no, they were brothels. Sure. But... I mean, uh, you, you you could eat, but yeah, <laughs> they really hated it if you called it a buffet. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Um, but food was served. If you listen to the the lyrics of Louis Jordan songs, mm -hmm. you know Saturday Night Fish Fry and all that stuff. Um, and it's still the case that jazz and food go hand in hand. Mm. And it's growing in London. And we're in Pizza Express. And the original founder of the Pizza Express chain, Peter Boiso, did probably more for mm. keeping jazz alive in certain environments uh, around London than almost anybody. And now there's a whole bunch of venues. And it's, it's rather thrilling. So let's start with this. Do you think that the world would be a better place if it were run by jazz musicians? <laughs> no, absolutely <laughs> no, not. No, of course not. It's, it's, it's a... <laughs> absolutely not. Why not? Um, because uh, jazz musicians are absolutely brilliant for the 60 to 75 minutes while they're playing and useless the rest of the time. I mean, we're, we're closed in our own worlds. We're practicing. We're closed in our heads. Uh, we can be very, very good on a particular task. But I do think the job of a technocrat, of a politician, of someone in government is to have their mind on the job 24 hours a day. Anyway, uh, we've met now and inaugurated our President of the Week, so now we need to find out who is in his cabinet. So, uh, Jay, let's hear your first choice this evening. Uh, it is for Secretary of Transport. Yes. Uh, and it is the great Gene Harris, uh, a brilliant um, blues pianist, no longer with us, 
Um, but I, I, I'm doing it on the basis that he really could motor, that everything that he played swung and pushed and drove. And it's just extraordinary stuff. Um, and he's one of those pianists that I listen to. It has to be said, all the musicians uh, I've nominated are people that I listen to while I write. Um, but sometimes I think, oh, putting Gene Harris on was a bad idea because you're now just going to stop writing and stare at your computer while the music is playing. Gene Harris is extraordinary. His Battle Hymn of the Republic is very well known um, because it's such a grand swinging piece, his version of Summertime 2, but it's not the one I've chosen. Yeah, you haven't chosen that. Tell us what you've chosen. Um, you Make Me Feel So Young. Um, it's, it, it's big, it's long, and it's the kind of thing you listen to as a pianist and go, what the hell's going on here? Um, and how is he doing this? And I wonder if I can... Oh, no, I can't. <laughs> because I'm not Gene Harris. <laughs> well, let's hear Gene Harris with a Joseph Myro number on the Concord Jazz label. No wonder you can't get any writing done when that's on. No, I know. I mean, it, it, you start to kind of wiggle and shift and move. Um, and then there's this re- double-handed thing he does coming up from the bottom and down from the top. And honestly, I've got, I've got a, a transcription of it. Um, and I keep trying to work out how to do it. So Minister for Transport then, because primarily yeah, because the, the drive in his music. Yeah, the drive in his, his music. Everything is forward motion in Gene Harris swings it's it, it's lively it's there um and that is a metaphor for being minister for transport I, d- I actually didn't know much gene harris and after i saw your list i went and listened to some and uh, f- fantastic stuff and i also didn't know that the three sounds were originally the four sounds yeah and then one of them left so they, they were down to three and it was a very tight trio the purists say that the the trio formation which was double bass drums and gene harris on piano is the what the pure trio should be um, and it, it's an extraordinary sound. He retired pretty much in the 70s uh, back to, I think, Idaho um, and was only playing a residency here and there. And then the great Ray Brown went and got him and said, you can't do this. Um, and he came back out of retirement and released something extraordinary from late 70s, early 80s until his death. in I think the 2006, he released 22 albums. Um, wow. And not uh, bad for someone who's retired. Yeah, not bad for someone who's retired. Toured with Ray Brown as well yeah. for a very long time. Did you and ever get a chance to see him? I never got a chance to see him. Well, I, I mean, I have to say, I, I, I agree with you, with your central uh, premise here that Gene Harris just, just drives through. I think he'd make a pretty solid minister for transport. Uh, uh, do you feel persuaded, ladies and gentlemen, of, the, uh, of Pizza Express? Yeah. There's some quite good... Quite good chin stroking there. But oh, yes, yes. In as much as no musician should be allowed this job, yes. yes. <laughs> good. All right. Well, um, that's confirmed then. Confirmed. They're not all going to be this easy, right? They not? I'm pretty sure I know which one you're going to object to. All right. Well, let's play a piece from your next selection then. You can tell us who it is. Jay, who was that? That is Bill Charlap, um, who is a terrific uh, New York based pianist. Um, and that's the title track from an album of his called Uptown Downtown, which I didn't discover very long ago. But he is so supple and so subtle 
um, that I think he would make an absolutely brilliant Secretary of State, the, the top diplomat, the person you send out to negotiate, because there are certain pianists um, you kind of admire and you, you know, love, but you, you kind of feel like you're seeing their workings in the margins. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Oscar Peterson was a bit like that. Mm-hmm. You're always seeing just how thrilling he was and the gymnastics and everything. And then there are other musicians, and I think of Bill Evans like this, where you stop trying to work out what they're doing and just sink into the, the harmonic world. And Bill Charlap is exactly like that. It's gorgeous, it's sinuous, sexy. Yeah, I mean, um, the, the effect on the room, people just, you feel bright and warm and safe. It swings perfectly. Yeah, it does. Um, he's also a, a, a superb interpreter of the Great American Songbook. Um, his version of I'm Old Fashioned is just gorgeous. And he introduced me to a, um, a song I didn't know, Spring Can Really Hang You Out the Most, um, which I now perform with my quartet. Um, it's actually, it's just me and the bassist. Hearing Bill Charlotte's version on Uptown Downtown, I just thought, this is gorgeous. I need to have a go at this. And I mm-hmm. got the, the, the score, the chart. Um, it was more than a chart. And it took me a very long time. <laughs> but it also introduced me to that subtle, sinuous sound, which is too much alliteration. But we'll <laughs> go with it. Uh, but I think that is, you know, it, there is something diplomatic about it. There is The subtle, sinuous sound mm-hmm. for the Secretary of State. Exactly. So very good, oh, jo- very good job. I don't. For Marcus Bridstock. It's a good job. I don't have a lisp. That yep, could have been it exhausting. Be, it would be exhausting. <laughs> uh, well, again, I mean, I have to say, I think you've thought these through too much for me to resist. I'm inclined to let him be Secretary of State. You said when we asked you about this, you said he's like Bill Evans without the smack habit and posturing. Yes, which yes. I, I thought was a little bit harsh on Bill Evans. Well, not really. I um. <laughs> Uh, you know, I do adore Bill Evans. I listen to it a lot. And as I say, he's not one of those people I listen to going, I wonder how that works. But I do, it does always depress me slightly mm. that it had to come hand in hand with uh, drug abuse and being him. Um, so often away. It's a minefield with this show, avoid, <laughs> avoiding yeah. the, we can't let that person run anything because of the heroin. Well, yeah, because <laughs> of the heroin. <laughs> uh, literally one in one. In one. Uh, uh, whereas Bill Charlap is, I, I mean, he's a very pucker individual. Yeah. Um, he took over running the, uh, is it the 96th Street Y uh, Jazz Orchestra yeah. from the great Dick Hyman. He's been doing that for 15 years. He's played with many of the greats. As a comedian, I cannot let the name Dick Hyman pass without mentioning <laughs> that school must have been very challenging. <laughs> It was, always, it was always rumoured in, in the, corner, the Jewish corner of northwest London that I came from that somewhere in the suburbs there was a girl called Fanny Hyman. <laughs> I never met her. <laughs> sure, but perhaps one day you will. Uh, well, I'm going to approve Bill Charlap as Secretary of State. We've asked the, uh, the audience here at Pizza Express Soho for your suggestions as to who you would choose to put in your cabinet of jazz. And Jay, I'm interested uh, to hear what you think of any of these. Gregory Porter for the Minister of Love. I don't want to be a pedant, but is there such a thing as a Minister of Love? Not yet, but the whole point about being president is you can make anything happen. Well, then I, I think Gregory Porter and the ghost of Barry White can wrestle for that one. Yeah, absolutely. Um... 
who would you put in your cabinet of jazz? Jay Rayner. Well, he's already president, but so, you've yeah. been suggested Minister of Agriculture, Food and Fishing. Well, I think it's fair to say that I have been going hammer and tongs at the saintly Michael Gove over food policy for about four years now. Um, and I'm going to be very bold here and say I could do a better job than Michael Gove. <laughs> So I am willing, I am willing to accept both the presidency and the portfolio oh, of thanks, man. DEFRA. Uh, just to be absolutely clear, your broken bar stool could do a better job than Michael Gove. <laughs> uh, suggestion here, uh, Sun Ra, what role in charge of immigration policy? <laughs> I've been... I sort of feel like everyone everywhere would be free to go wherever the hell they wanted. Yeah. Under yeah, no, great idea. yeah I think perfect. it's a very nice idea. Um, Jay, let's hear uh, a, a piece of music from your next selection. That old black magic got me in a spell. That old black magic that you knew so well. I see your fingers up and down my spine. Same old witchcraft when you're out. Now, I love this. That was the Harold Arlen and Johnny Mercer tune, That Old Black Magic, from Leanne Carroll's standard issue album on Splashpoint Records. Leanne, I'm going to just put it out there, is the greatest female jazz singer the UK has. She, and uh, I didn't even pay them to cheer. <laughs> it's um, good to see Leanne here tonight. Thank you for coming. <laughs> And, and um, her family. <laughs> now, I, I am going to declare an interest, but not an unusual one in politics, which is that Leanne is a friend of mine, um, but I was a fan of her music long before I met her. Um, I am uh, proposing her as uh, Minister of State or Secretary of State for Social Services um, because her empathetic skills are absolutely extraordinary. She cannot sing a dishonest lyric. Uh, everything is... Pure and perfect. Um, that you, we've heard is uh, that old black magic. And that's her playing the piano as well. She's an extraordinary pianist as well. But um, she what gives do you mean, herself to every song. What do you mean when you say she cannot sing a dishonest lyric? There are a lot of singers who will have beautiful tone and beautiful phrasing. But you don't believe a bloody word. But when Leanne Carroll sings a song, you believe everything. You believe that at the moment that she's singing that song, she is expressing the emotion. She gets inside the emotion of the lyric in a way that very, very few singers do. Um, and it's an extension of her. She's a quite brilliantly emotional uh, person um, and isn't embarrassed about it. She's also a superb performer. I've seen her here many times. I've seen her at Ronnie's many times. And I learned more about the business of performing from watching Leanne and her trio than from almost any other musician. Um, because when you say the business of performing... What I mean is that one of the problems with jazz is that jazz musicians are not necessarily that great at acknowledging their audience. Uh, they come on and they want you to be thrilled by their cleverness and by the sound of everything they're doing without necessarily stopping and realising it's a show. Mm -hmm. And you have to engage with the people who are listening to you and take them with you. Um, and bring them in. I mean, if you didn't do that, Marcus, you wouldn't have a career. Um, <laughs> yeah, but you do. So there have been nights. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. But Leanne is Leanne is absolutely brilliant at that. Yeah. Um, her 
interpretations of Joni Mitchell, of Carol King are glorious. Tom Waits as well. The, the stuff she does. Well, um, she, she teaches too, right? And she, she talks about this, about getting her students to embody the emotion, which, I, which is a yes. big part of what you're talking about. Here. Really embody it and talks about when, you know, when they get lost uh, and start crying, for example. Yeah, she said, well, just do it again. Do it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. And, uh, or, or harness that emotion to the song. Yeah. Um, and she does that night after night. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever she performs, you know that she has, uh, you know, all that old stuff, heart and soul, is it, body and soul, it's all in there. Mm. Um, and that's, you know... It's a going to see a play live and perform is a masterclass in performance. Well, she um, says, and, she, it, and and the way that she gets inside it, it's empathy, empathy, and that's what we need in a secretary of social services. Yeah, although, yeah, <laughs> too much empathy, and they'll just sort of say yes to everyone that. Oh, you've come over all pretty Patel, haven't you? <laughs> well. I mean, I don't think she can be Secretary of State for Welfare. She sounds like an absolute wet blanket. No. <laughs> well, Look, like t- I would like you, Marcus Brigstock, <laughs> to meet Leanne Carroll and say that to her face. Listen. Listen. She'd take you down having, in one round, mate. Having, having heard her, I will certainly be going to see her perform uh, uh, now, having said that, anonymously from the back of the room. <laughs> I'm I'm just providing no, grit, there is grist steel to in the that mill. woman. Everything she does is gorgeous, and I'll punch anyone who argues. Well, I'm, then, then I shan't argue anymore. Um, I'm interested to know that she says, with the singing, I know I can pretty much do it. With the piano, I go blind now and again, and my fingers turn into concrete. Do you do you oh, ever God. have that? Yeah, 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 all the time. I, she she protests too much. She's a, a terrific uh, pianist. Um, her, you know. Her chord structures, sorry, it sounds very analytical, but her harmonies are absolutely gorgeous. Listen, we're on Jazz FM, uh, you're pretty true. safe. Yeah, if I start saying, <laughs> I say things like that, there's somebody at home cracking one off to it. I mean, it's, um, <laughs> we all know that's happening. Uh, you'll uh, find, you'll find, there are definitely people at home pushing their glasses further up their nose. Going, I think you'll find. Um, yeah, she's a great pianist as well. There you go. Well, I mean, obviously, I don't think she should be Secretary of State for Welfare because she's far too too empathetic. But I feel like there's some resistance in the room to that. So I'll leave it. We'll make it somewhat democratic. Do you think, ladies and gentlemen, that Leanne Carroll would make a suitable Secretary of State for Welfare? Well, Democracy in action. Yes, who'd have thought you'd be such a populist? Mm. It's easy, isn't it? Yep. To win them round. Yep. <laughs> Jay, uh, your final selection, please. Your your final member of your cabinet of jazz. Uh, it is for Secretary of Defence. Yeah. It is Count Basie in front of his entire orchestra. He leads from the front. Uh, and by God, that is a coordinated team. It, it is a monstrous machine, the Count Basie Orchestra. Um, and to demonstrate this, um, I've chosen the first track of the greatest live jazz concert recording of all time. Nobody can argue with me on this. It's Sinatra at the Sands from 1963. Composed by Jimmy Van Heusen with lyrics from Sammy Khan on Reprise Records, this is Come Fly With Me. Come fly with me, we'll fly, we'll fly away If you can use some exotic booze There's a bar in far Bombay Come on, fly with me, we'll fly, we'll fly away 
It's an extraordinary recording because, apart from anything else, it's Frank um, right in control of that room. Uh, it's about six years before the nightmare of my way. The, the glories of his voice have slightly gone, but his technique, his stagecraft is all there. There's a brilliant description on the liner notes. I don't generally read all that stuff and get propeller-heady about it, but it was a description of, I think it was 500 pairs of knees with nowhere to go. The room was crammed, yeah, and they were all there. And one other little detail, the musical director on that was a 27-year-old man called Quincy Jones. It is really one of the most extraordinary recordings of all time. And there are some people who say, well, why not Duke Ellington's orchestra if you're going for an orchestra? And there is a, an absolute clear difference between Duke Ellington and, and the Camp Basie Orchestra. Duke Ellington's orchestra was an orchestra of soloists who mm -hmm. all came together. And if you listen to it, he loved the friction of those musicians sort of not necessarily all playing quite on top of each other. Mm -hmm. Whereas the Count Basie Orchestra is a monstrous machine mm. um, and also responsible for the greatest sight gag in film comedy. You know what I'm going to say. Absolutely. Okay? Blazing, Blazing Saddles. saddles. <laughs> where where the, the, he's riding his horse across the desert. You hear the, the big band sound crack up. And then as he drives past, there's the Camp Basie Orchestra in the middle of the desert. For that alone, it's... Camp Basie and the Camp Basie Orchestra would get uh, and, defense. And Sheriff Bart just stops and just tips his hat to Camp Basie. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's an incredible moment. There's something else about Camp Basie for this role, which is... I think if you are going to be Secretary of Defence, you need to not be responsible for dramatic acts that mm -hmm. could upset the enemy. Mm -hmm. um, and the brilliant thing about Basie was at the piano, he did almost nothing. He was famous for just the perfect little shape or pattern that trilled and filled in the space. Mm -hmm. He led from the front by doing as little as possible on the gig, <laughs> um, but he did it absolutely spectacularly. Uh, and I think it, it, it was the supreme confidence to do that as mm -hmm. well. I mean, you've got this orchestra, the greatest horn players in America, um, giving it large, and he's there doing a little triplet up the top. Um, and I always think, you know, that's what you need from someone who's going to lead the military if you are of a bent to have a military. Yeah, sure, sure. Well, they may as well be armed with brass instruments Indeed. if they're going to be armed with, with anything. Um, uh, do you think... Do you think it would be a time of peace with uh, with Basie and his orchestra in a, a defence? I think that if there were any... Like, it's full, on a, it's full on attack. The way they play is is very up front. Yeah, but can face. you imagine? There's a negotiation or there's some kind of posturing going on. The Camp Basie orchestra turns up, giving it large, and everybody goes, oh, we're out of here. That's it. We, we, what, we can't, we, what can we do in the face of that enormous brass section? <laughs> we're... Oh. I'm, really, no, I'm, really, I'm really enjoying the idea of an actual army being confronted. But, I mean, that's... It's, Look, this it's, is what this is about. It's think, not absurd anyway, is it? I mean, you know, that's, that, that's why there's bagpipes. <laughs> well, that's true. That's, that's true. true. And that's why um, the New Zealand team shout at the England team at the beginning of rugby matches. I don't think we can call that a shout anymore, I think. <laughs> we, not? we have to be very specific. We call it a hacker, and, and, it is, and it's quite terrifying. And yeah. I think... Uh, you know, if the Camp ba Basie Orchestra hit up a B-flat blues with mm. everybody roaring, well, everybody else would pack up and go home. I've long since thought that the England rugby team should respond with a Morris dance. <laughs> uh, something important to our culture in the same way. But I think you're right. I think, I think probably that the Camp Basie Orchestra would overwhelm their enemy. Basie said, uh, I think the band can really swing when it swings easy, when it can just play along like you're cutting butter. 
That seems like a, a very sweet way of looking at making music. All right, well, Count Basie and his entire Basie orchestra. Are you including old Blue Eyes as well? Like, would he? No, 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 absolutely not. Frank Sinatra would ruin everything. He has to stay home. He's not invited. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jay, you've got Count Basie and the entire Count Basie orchestra through as our ministers of defence. In fact, I think in a massive administrative error, You've got everybody through. Wait, yes, I I'm have. Just going back. I mean, you tried. I you knew tried, this was going to happen. But you didn't really mean it. No, it's no. true. It's true. <laughs> the resistance was absolutely pathetic. I folded like a deck of cards. Uh, well, with regret, that's all the time we have. My thanks to this week's president, Jay Rayner, my producer, Debbie Kilbride, exec producer, Alison Vernon-Smith, and, of course, to Pizza Express Soho who've hosted us tonight. The Cabinet of Jazz is a Loftus Media production for Jazz FM, supported by the Audio Content Fund. Jay Rayner, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah.